Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. I am a recovered alcoholic. My day of grace is for 2012 and um I'm excited to be here and walk through um, chapter five with all of you this morning. So if you haven't gotten your big book, open it up to page 58. Okay, here we go. How it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who have who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. They are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. I'm going to stop right there um, before we get into the steps. Um, Okay, so where we are in the big book is um, we have been discussing what the problem is and all the pages up to this as we've been going over, you know, for you to qualify yourself. Um, We have Bill's story as another qualifier so that you can see if... um, or kind of have you be able to come to your step one moment to match your experience outside the rooms um, to say, I am powerless over alcohol and that like my life is unmanageable. I have the body of an alcoholic. I have no control once I put alcohol in my body. And then I have the mind of an alcoholic and that I have no choice that I continue to keep choosing. I mean, I keep picking up the drink, even though I've chosen to not do that. Okay, so then that helps me be able to qualify myself to come to that step one moment going, I'm admitting that's my truth and conceding that I'm powerless. So then right after that, then you're followed up with step two with a a solution. Came to believe um, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So now we're at a place of, okay, well, so you've decided you don't want to be in step one anymore and we've given you hope and you want this hope. You want the solution offered. So this is where we're kind of getting into step three, where this is the action. Okay. So sometimes people need to know what am I going to have to do? And that's what we're getting into is um, what am I going to have to do? because I don't know, I want it, but I don't know what I'm going to have to do. And maybe I'm not really willing. So back to the paragraph where it's talking about, um, that first paragraph is just about honesty, obviously. But I love the first sentence is rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. 
So again, it's you can have success if you follow the path exactly or precisely how it's written in the book. It is a simple program that again, it's precise, black and white instructions. You get a sponsor to walk you through the step. But again, it's, you know, as this first paragraph talks about honest, honest, honesty, honesty. And the honesty is going, am I honestly an alcoholic? Am I honestly powerless? Because if I don't feel that way, if I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe I'm not going to honestly go through the rest of the work. I might do a little bit. Um, so then again, like in the chapters before, we've had the stories of different people, um, what they used to be like, what happened and what they are like now. And then that gets us to that place of making a decision. If you've decided you want what we have, that's the first hundred that wrote the book. And that's a big word and are willing to go to any length to get it. Then you are ready to take certain steps, follow directions. And so that's where it's going to start getting into what the steps are. And I'll pick up and read there at some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to old ideas, and the result was nil until we absolutely let go. Remember, we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Okay, I'm going to go over that. So again, it's at first when I read through all that and I'm presented or I look at the poster, I think, oh my goodness, that's a lot. Like as on 58, you know, it's some of these balked. I'm willing to do everything except for this step or that step. 
But when, again, I've made a decision between do I want to really live in this new way of life or do the steps, I kind of am like, okay, I'm going to just trust the whole process. I love that because it's encouragement of going with all our earnestness at your command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. And again, here's a promise. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we absolutely let go. That's they're talking about again, their experience of saying, Hey, we held on to those little ideas that blocked us. And that didn't allow us to have the freedom that the program offers as we continue to be thorough and follow the path. We deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful, but also we deal with alcoholism, which is permanent patience and progressive. So even though we are not, um, drinking, you know, it's like so many times I'm like, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking. But again, in my body, I still have the alcoholic body and I still have the mental illness and it's progressively getting worse. So I do need to do something different because on my own, that's where I got to that hopeless place. Okay. Half measures availed us nothing. I can't do this halfway. I need to do this 100%. I live 100% into everything. And so, again, if I want a solution, I can't just, that's going to be worthwhile. I can't just halfway do it. Um, I need 100%. I didn't halfway drink. And I guess, so we stood at a turning point. And again, the turning point is, do we want to go back to the terrible cycle? Step one, do we want to live in our powerlessness? Or do we want to be restored to sanity and connected to this power that will restore us to sanity and get you know, that we're going to have access to things that a way of living that we hadn't been living. So that's the kind of the turning point, which way are we going to go, which that's where step three comes in and making that decision where we ask for his protection and care with complete abandon, completely hundred percent jump into this. Okay, so again, I've gone through what step one is, admitting the problem. Step two, the solution came to believe. As I go through the steps, I am going to experience this power in a different way, be restored to sanity, and that belief is going to become more of a reality. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That's our surrender. It's kind of like I'm making a decision to do the rest of the steps, something I haven't done. Four is where we start seeing what in ourselves is blocking us. Five is when we work with somebody else to admit the exact nature of our wrong. Which then six and seven together, six is that we're, in, we're ready to have God remove it. And seven, we ask him to remove them. Nine, eight and nine is where we take action to have that get connected, clean up the mess that we can do, which then 10 brings us to a four through nine together, um, all in one step, because now we've cleaned out our tunnel, which we'll explain later. And then 11 sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious conduct with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. So if I've made a decision to do this and I've gotten connected, 11 is where I continue to daily do that. Seek him for um, his knowledge every day.
So let's flip over to 60. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could or would if he were sought. Being convinced, we were at step three which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like the actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in its own way. If only, if his arrangements would only stay put, if people would only do as he wished, the show would be great. Okay, back to page 60. Okay, so step 12, that is a promise having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. That's what we get. And that's um, as doing the steps, we get a spiritual awakening. We are awakening to a new way of life because for so long I have just been living on autopilot. Um, and then, you know, it's like, because we have been blessed with this new way of life, we try and carry that message. These 12 steps work. And I carry it to people that are suffering, whether they're ready to take it or not is their choice. But the mat, it's a mean of me giving back what was so freely given to me. And then to practice these principles and all um, our affairs is that I, through living through doing the steps, I've learned how to live a different way. And then I practice it, not just in the rooms of AA, not just with the other alcoholic, but I practice it wherever I go because that way, um, well, it's just, I'm acting out in my beliefs, this works. And so why should I not do it with my husband or anybody else as well as then it shows that I am a changed person, that I'm doing something different. I'm grounded in new foundation or a new way of living. Okay. So like I said, it's like a lot of us might be thinking after we hear all the steps, you know, Oh my gosh, I can't do that. I'm discouraged. You make it look easy, but I'm scared. I can't do these things. And I love that it's just, they're putting down people's thoughts, just like what we were thinking. But I like that. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. 
we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. It's kind of just at the beginning. Be willing. Be open-minded. Open your mind to something new. Try it, and it might work for you, just like us. Again, and it's it's not going to be perfect. And you're, it's just, but take, you're going to progress, whether it's baby steps or giant steps, but slowly you'll get closer to that spiritual awakening. And once you have there, then you can continue to grow into something new. Um, Like I said before, you know, we've already been reading in the book about the description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic and our personal adventures before and after to make these clear these pertinent ideas, these three ideas, A, um, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives through, and then that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism about that powerlessness that we are, you know, it didn't matter our doctor, our husbands, our children, or anybody. There was no power other than something outside of us that could relieve it and that God could or would, if he were sought. So being convinced of all of those things, we're at step three. Okay. So you're convinced of step one, convinced of step two, which then it gives us little questions of goings of where to move forward. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self will be hardly a success. Okay, that's something new, but that's something that I need to realize. Okay, wait a second. This is about Devery. But again, if I'm going to choose to do God's will, make a decision to do God's will in step three, I kind of need a reason of, well, for me, why? What Again, a choice. I'm making a decision between God's will and Devery's will. Well, I got to see that Devery's will is hardly a success. Well, I'm in misery. That's why I'm going to make a decision to do something different. And I like this. This is a great illustration of um, just that control freakness kind of, or the, just the, where my motives are off or where I've been playing God and how he illustrates it so well about how I might be on the stage, but there's all these other roles that I'm trying to control as I'm on the stage being the star versus I need to be just one thing instead of everything. So back to that. Um, if his arrangements would only stay plate, stay put. If only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He comes on the next occasion, still more demanding or more gracious as the case may be. Still, the play doesn't suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is somewhat or he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying, 
what are his basic what is his basic trouble is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants and do not his actions make each one of them wish to retaliate snatching all they can get out of this show is he not even his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony our actor is a is self-centered egocentric as people would li like to call it nowadays he is like the retired businessman who lulls in this florida sun in the winter complaining about the sad state of the nature nation the minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave the outlaw safe cracker who thinks society has wronged him and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up whatever our protestations are um are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments and our self pity. Okay. Coming up to that. So it's like, it's, it's, he's done a great job on page 61 of really painting the picture of what I'm struggling with deep down what I struggle with and why I drink this internal struggle of, um, trying to manage well over people, not following Devery's book of life and Devery's way of living. And so I just like that because it's like, well, I'm, you know, aren't we self-sacrificing and kind, you know, I'm not mean and egotistical, even though maybe I was, but again, it's about just painting that picture of kind of deep down. Why am I struggling? What is happening in my life? Um, and I like that sentence too, where on 61 at the bottom of that second, the to last paragraph is he not even in his best moment a producer of confusion rather than harmony and those are questions that it's really i need to ask myself is that me is that what i'm doing so let's flip over to um 62 and get to what that i love that two sentence the question too whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves our resentments and our self-pity Am I wrapped up more with me than anything else? Which then here it comes. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of the selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there is often no, seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his age, aid, sorry. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. 
Neither could we have reduced our own self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the why and how, or the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the cornerstone of a new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. So again, it's kind of at the beginning, it's talking about what the root of our trouble is. I have been rooted into Devery, which manifests itself in a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. And this is kind of like now we're getting out away from alcohol into something different. This is where, um, this is about the spiritual malady and the, like the root of our troubles. So again, it's like, so our troubles we think are basically of our making. So again, it's pointing the finger back to us of going, okay, if it's your making, you can do something different. This is what we're going to start working on and um, having our perception or a psychic change about as we go through the steps. And it talks about, again, that self will run riot, which we need, we were convinced it wasn't working. And that's why we're making a decision to do God's will. Where again, it's like, okay, have we not been wanting to do this? And then I love just the way it sets up the points. You know, haven't you been trying? Haven't you been praying? Haven't you been wishing? Um, and it didn't change. So again, it's like, okay, you had to have God's help, which again, this was a lot of uh, enlightening for me. Cause it was like, I already know God's there, but I wasn't thinking about the fact that I was playing God. It's like I was knowing there, but I was telling God what I wanted. Dear God, I want this. So now it's like, okay, stop talking to every and let God tell you what to do. Let God direct, call the shots. Which then it's when I decide to let God to be the director, God call the shots. Then I get to have a new, you know, pass into a place where there's freedom. There's freedom in when I don't have, I just follow rules which if we go back to the beginning, it's like if I thoroughly follow the path that has been directed for me, there's going to be freedom and um, success in that. 63. Um, When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose his fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn. We, um, we are now at step three. Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking the step, making sure we were ready. 
that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. We found it desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor. But it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. The wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we expressed the idea, voicing it without reservation. This was only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. Next, we launched off on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. Okay, so this is getting to on 63. We start off with the promises. At the top of the page is when we took such a position of, okay, I'm going to let God call the shots. God's going to be the director. Then all of these remarkable things follow. I, I move from selfishness, self-centeredness to selflessness. And, um, and these promises are just, again, as we go through the steps that we'll, we'll feel this new power flow in, we'll enjoy the peace of mind and we'll discover we're facing life when we used to be more fearful of that. Um, and then step three is just saying a prayer with our sponsor and God to, you know, to just kind of confirm what we're making a decision about that. We're going to let God be God and God's going to call the shots. And then we're just asking God to help us get out of the way so we can continue to do the work, which then as it, we have victory, we bear witness to others. Um, but again, we've just made a decision. So it's like, this is only a beginning. So now we're going to start getting into the action. This is a program of action. It's kind of like, I've been talking about what the problem is. I've been talking about what the solution is. And then I've just made a decision to do the work. So next we're launching off on a course of vigorous action stuff that we really have to do to get unblocked and connected to God, which Sarah will get the opportunity to um, add in now. So I pass it to her. Thank you, Devery. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, so Devery beautifully took us through the first three steps, which are really intellectual uh, exercises, right? Um, do I understand that my life is unmanageable because I, I can't manage my drinking. I can't manage to leave it alone. Uh, I don't have a choice. Um, I'm going to drink again. And, and do I understand that I need to do this because I can't control my drinking? Uh, and I'm absolutely powerless over alcohol, alcoholism and what it's doing to my life. Am I willing into to say maybe this higher power can fix what I can't and have I made this decision in three that nice sponsor lady is sober and happy about it other people are sober and happy about it and I'm going to decide fearless and thorough from the very start like Devery said to just to just do this work I'm just going to do these steps I'm just going to do the work and so the first action in doing the work Starts with uh, starts at the bottom of page 63. It says, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house clean. 
which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So that is really important, housekeeping and being blocked. What am I blocked from? The power. If I understand I'm powerless over alcohol, I need access to a power that is big enough to fix what I cannot. And and what gets us to that place of comprehending that we need to get sober is usually bad stuff happens. And what got me to that place of wanting to do this work, because Devery just read the steps, they tell us up front what the work is, was this idea that, well, maybe I can figure out an easier way to do it or a different solution or whatever. And so I was like, I knew I needed to not drink. I I didn't really want to do anything radically different to get there. But since I was blocked off from any kind of power that could fix me, I had to do some work. And it says our liquor was but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. Well, that's fabulous. How do I do that? how it works. That's the title of the chapter. They're going to tell us exactly. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding, searching, and fact-facing, fearless uh, process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of a business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did, the, we did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us we considered its common manifestations. So here's what we're gonna inventory. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. And that's that's a promise. Uh, I I often used resentments as a go-to reason to go have that first drink. Well, my boss was mean to me. Well, my life is unfair. You know, whatever I was angry about, drinking, used to be like a solution to that. I'm angry. I have a couple drinks. It solves a problem. But at some point in my drinking, it didn't solve the problem. So how do I get rid of those, of that darkness that I've been stuffing down inside myself? How do I get rid of that since, since alcohol doesn't get rid of it anymore? And these are precise instructions exactly how to clean that out, unblock us from this beautiful higher power so that that can solve our problem. And it says real specifically from its form, from its stem, all forms of spiritual disease for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. Here's a beautiful promise. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. That's, that's the opposite of what I thought the truth and the false. The truth is, if I could straighten out my mind, if I could get my physical stuff in order, I wouldn't have to drink so much. But it's the other way around for me as an alcoholic. Straighten out the spiritual, 
and the mental and the physical, they come along after. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Specific instruction, get a piece of paper and a pen. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. Column one, do column one first. What am I mad about? Two, we asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, we found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. Okay, I've got a list of everything I'm mad at. Now, two and three, why am I mad and how is it affecting me? Then uh, more about column three. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal sex relations, which had been interfered with? And then they give us a definite example. So here's number one. <clears throat> Mad at Mr. Brown. Why? Pays attention to my wife. Uh, told my wife about my mistress. That's hilarious. How am I affected? <clears throat> it, it, I feel threatened in my sex relations, my self-esteem. I'm ashamed. I'm frightened. Etc. So I just followed this. Column one, top to bottom. Column two, top to bottom. Column three, top to bottom. And then it says we went back through our lives. This was a big one for me. It was hard to figure out what all I was mad at. But if I start today and start going backwards, it helped me get out organized. Cool. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. There's that honesty word again. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. So now I'm going to look at columns one through three really carefully. The first thing apparent was that the world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. Like this kind of describes me drinking. Like I'm mad about all those first three column things. I know that stuff. What do I do about it? The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were uh, short-lived. And it's funny because I did use uh, resentments as a weapon, so that idea of a war makes sense to me. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit this, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. <clears throat> as long as I seem mad at the whole world, um, basically I'm going to stay drunk. That's what this is promising me. And, and I kind of knew that already. So I'm trying to do it differently. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. That's the blocking that it talks about earlier. The insanity of alcohol returns when we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. This is also described as restless, restlessness, irritable, discontented, right? We hear that all the time. That's what's blocking me from that sunlight that's going to save me. We turn back to the list where it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. 
we began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoings of others, fancied or real, doesn't matter if uh, if they really did that stuff or, or if I made it up in my head, I just got to get it down on paper, had power to actually kill, how could we escape? We saw these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Some people call this the sick man's prayer, or some people call this the resentment prayer. I like the idea that it's the resentment prayer because it says, though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We ask God, here's the prayer part, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And that's why I like to say resentment prayer, because I want to remember that this is about God saving me and that part of the prayer. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. So at this point, we've done these four columns in the four steps. And that fourth column, looking at it from a different angle, you know, where was I at fault? Where was I wrong? It immediately gives me a spiritual tool because I've, I've gotten upset over this stuff. So the spiritual tool about getting some relief from that upset is this prayer. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Referring to our list again, fourth column, all about me and what did I do? Putting out of our minds, and I had to do this, like physically, like forget them, forget them. They can get their own sponsor, forget them. Just think about you, which is real hard for me to do because I want to say, well, their part was this. But the truth is I did that before it didn't work. This was brand new information to me. Putting out of our mind the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. I put my blinders on. Just what were my mistakes, Sarah's mistakes? Where had Sarah been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? I mean, trust me, I can find that stuff in other people all day, but that's not. this isn't about them. It's about me. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where was Sarah to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. So I wrote down stuff like, I lied to her. I was inconsiderate of her. I stole from him, etc. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. It's foreshadowing step nine, but we don't actually set anything straight yet. We just ask God to make us willing. Pray that. Notice the word fear is bracketed along the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? That's one of those things where the true and the false were confused for me. 
the truth is I had these problems because I set the ball rolling. The lie was these things happened to me, so I had to drink. So it's like the opposite of what I thought was the truth. Sometimes, I'm on 68 now, sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly, just like our resentments, same four columns. We put them on paper, column one, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why, column two, we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Remember Desiree said that God's will solves the drink problem, that self-will, that was keeping me drunk. And that was true for me as an alcoholic, 100%. Column three. Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but that didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. And then column four, we're going to look at when it made us cocky, it was worth worse. What were my mistakes? What were my wrongs? Was I arrogant? You know, uh, what were the causes of my fear, the mistakes I made? Perhaps there is a better way we think so, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? And I don't know about anybody else, but like five minutes apiece. I just want to get sober and have five minutes apiece. So this promise of serenity is a big deal for me. I love it. We never apologize to anyone for depending on our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God, never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him, another prayer, to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. So there's a promise followed up. Uh, there's a, a prayer followed up by a promise, and that's a pretty common pattern in the book. Now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there. But above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our no lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare. The other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We, this is, oh, this is a big deal. We want to stay out of this controversy. Like all that stuff, I can get twisted around that stuff for hours, but the reality is it's not going to help me get sober. Stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? This is an action step. It's not about obsessing over that stuff. It's about taking some action. We reviewed our conduct over the years past. Here's column four again. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? 
What were my mistakes? That's column one. Who did I hurt? <clears throat> did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? This is column two. Like, what is the cause of this hurt? And then column three, where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? Where am I, um, and column four, uh, where am I impacted? And where is it my fault? Not like what part did I play in it? But really, where am I at fault? Where did I arouse these jealousy and bitterness and all this bad stuff? We got this down on paper. There's that original step four instruction. Put it on paper. It's one thing to think about this stuff in my head. But when I got to set it down in black and white, that's how I really get to the root of it. And that was one of the huge things about step four that was so different from how I tried to get at this stuff through church or therapy. But I, me personally, I just could not. These instructions in step four, this as an alcoholic, this did work. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal of our future sex life. We suggested each, we subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? And for me, probably yes. I need from him security so I can drink the way I want. I need from him to control my drinking because I can't control it. Whatever it was I was trying to make that person do, it was usually about how I was impacted in some way. Here's, a, uh, here's the first sex prayer. There's three of them. Here's number one. We ask God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to, never, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, prayer number two, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. And the cool thing about that uh, line, we treat sex as we would any other problem, is that I can also use these prayers for any other problem. So I don't know what to do about my job in meditation. Uh, you know, morning in 11, ask God what I should do about that work problem, any specific matter. So this is a useful tool in the spiritual toolkits that has turned out to be one of the spiritual tools I probably use more than any other spiritual tool. I just read 69 and 70 and apply it to any problem you have, Sarah Jean, because the right answer will come if you want it if we want it. So that promise to me, if I say that prayer, God, what should I do about the specific matter? That's awesome. It doesn't promise me the answer I want. It promises me the right answer. Big difference and very cool. God alone can judge our sex situation. That's a relief because I don't want anybody judging me. And I frankly don't have the skill set to judge anyone else. So cool. That's a big relief. Counsel with others is often other uh, with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. For me, the uh, counsel with other persons is often desirable. Is 
always my sponsor first. She is, she is the person who I have trusted to know me better than anyone else. So I talk with her and then we, me and her, we let God be the final judge and we really rely on his guidance to get to the answer for, for sex problems or any problem. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Not suppose, when, really, for me. When I fall short, which I do, <clears throat> does this mean we are going to get drunk? Huge relapse promise right here. And this is like giants. Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. Relapse is not a requirement, man. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry, if Sarah's conduct continues to harm others, she is quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray, third sex prayer, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity. And remember, the promise of sanity, that comes in step 11. So this prayer is something, you know, I'm going to use for the rest of my life and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. I'm telling you what, ladies, I spend as much time at the two, four and at Maggie's house as I do when it's open or doing zoom meetings because of that sentence right there. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. What's the magic key to this program? We throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. And that can be any urge. An urge for money, an urge for shopping, an urge for all the human power stuff I tried to fill that, that drinking I just poured on, right? I've got to be unblocked and have it filled with that sunlight of the spirit. And how do I get that? By turning my attention to others. When to yield would mean heartache. If we have been thorough about our fourth step, about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. Drinking was killing me. I, fatality is not too strong a word for me. I believe it. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begin, begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. For we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct. This is foreshadowing steps eight and nine. Listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. More praying for willingness. Again, we're going to see that again in six and seven. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. Blocked me from that. I feel good at peace and ease all alone. If you have already made a decision, step three, and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, step four. You have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. 
I will tell you when it says you have made a good beginning, if you look at pages 35 and 63, it says if we make a beginning and rest on our laurels, we're going to get drunk. But if we make a good beginning and follow it with action and more action, we're in good shape for staying sober and happy about it. So that is the end of the chapter. And thank you guys for listening. That's what I got. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA world services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com.